What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong podcast. I'm Jacqueline Coley, alongside my, I would say, life partner at this point, my po- my, my podcast life partner. We're pretty much tied at the hip, yes. Yeah. Uh, platonic life partner is a good way to yes, say it, because yeah. you and I also have very similar lifestyles. <laughs> what I figured out, we just do them at different times, because yeah. like it, we covered a couple of weeks ago, you get up early and do your workouts. Yeah. I'm doing my workouts at night now. I do like all my work like in the morning. And then, like, I'll do my workouts. And if I have stand-up, I'll go out and do that. But that's not really work, so. I don't know how you do that. The idea of exuding myself that late in the <laughs> evening just makes me want to kill myself. Also, strange development. I'm back into sports, and you're watching The Gilded Age. I, I, I love it. I am, I'm obsessed with this show. I am, <laughs> because now I have to go back and watch Downton Abbey. I never watched that. Yeah. But it's been my, everybody needs a gateway into, like, a new kind of world of entertainment. This has been my gateway. I watched the uh, Sense and Sense ability with Alan Rickman. Yes. I watch Pride and Prejudice. I'm like, I am so in on all this stuff now. So it, Downton Abbey is like my big thing for 2024. I really hope you get there because you're basically reliving my entire adolescence. <laughs> if you read the books first, yeah. I mean, between smutty romance novels and period piece, sort of like British um, aristocracy television. That is that is my wheelhouse. And I feel like our guest today is going to live at the intersection of both. Yeah, <laughs> He's kind of said that that maybe if we're going to keep it a little British, <laughs> keep it a little dirty, keep it a little drunk. Also on theme for our film Hello today. Tom- <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. Ticking all those boxes very easily. And this is possibly the weirdest body swap comedy I've been walking on. I know. I feel yeah. like Cy is me and I'm Cy. Yeah, like I'm like living for the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love being in the playoffs. And you're talking about the Gilded Age. We We've hung out for too long. <laughs> Simon Thompson is our guest today, ladies and gentlemen. And I think this is great because we have a journalist and producer, but he's already sort of alluded to the fact that we're going to like go deep into both of his loves for, you know, maybe British cursing, mm. a little bit of period <laughs> drama yeah. and getting it a little dirty on there. And that's a perfect thing for this movie. I mean, we see, uh, how do we say his name? I want to say it wrong. Uh, Ralph? Ralph. Rafe? No, the other one. The Dirty Rasputin. Oh, like, Reese Evans. Reese Evans. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to say it wrong. Reese Evans for The Kingsman, which is the tw- 2021 rated 40% rotten on the tomato meter, but an 80% audience score. A movie that Mark didn't even know existed, but you have been <laughs> converted. Yeah. You said it on the last episode, so I like d- I, I have to call I, it back. I, what, what I said, and what I stick to is that if you told me this movie existed, I'd be like, yeah, they did make a third Kingsman. If you told me that it was just something that got announced and never happened, I would have believed that too. Yeah. 
But you were you were a slow <laughs> fan on this one. You were a member of the Converted. Hundred percent. The first time that I saw this, I, I, it didn't really work with me, and I finally know now why. I mm. finally worked it out why. Um, but yeah, I've watched it a couple of times since, and again, obviously for the show today. Um, I've I've come around. I'm a I'm a the Kingsman apologist. I actually like this now. I like what they're doing. You're apologizing to yourself. I didn't realize it had that many layers, Mark. <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a layered piece of work. Well, I'm so glad you're here with us today. This one we're talking about because Argyle, which I feel is another literary adaptation, another sort of like author coming into their into their body of work, um, starring uh, Jesus Lord. I'm going to say her name completely wrong. Dallas Bryce Dallas Howard stars in that one alongside Henry Cavill and every single star that'll be out on two two. It's a great this, cast. Great cast. Mm. This film is part of the Kingsman franchise. It is the third iteration. First was the Kingsman Secret Service, which was certified fresh at 75% on the tomato meter, 84% audience score. Golden Circle is a little bit more in line with this one. That was the sequel with Elton John, everyone else returning, (laughs) 50% rotten, and a 64% audience score. I feel bad maybe asking this one before we sort of get into whether Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but Mark... Can you break down what happens in The Kingsman? Because this is a movie that takes several turns. I can break down what happens because, as we now know, I watch The Gilded Age and war documentaries. So that's like the two things that I watch <laughs> late at night when me and the doggy have our herbal medication. Yes. So this movie takes place. It's a prequel to Kingsman The Secret Service because this shows us how Kingsman, how that secret band of spies and that network kind of was formed at the outset of World War I where Archduke Ferdinand gets assassinated. We find out, oh, well, there are some Kingsmen involved in that trying to protect him, trying to basically stop a war from breaking out. But there were dark forces at work that wanted power plays moved around with countries. And so we have a dark table where we're setting all these nefarious schemes up. And then we have Rafe, Ralph, Ray Fiennes mm-hmm. and his family, who he had, he suffered a tragic loss at the beginning of this movie yes. with his wife getting shot. His young son sees it. And then we go to 12 years later where his son has now come of age almost. He wants to be like everybody else. And he wants to go to war. He wants to defend his country. And daddy won't let him have it. And now we find out one of the reasons is because, yeah, he's trying to protect his son, but also because he has spearheaded this Kingsman movement and he's got uh, a couple people on the inside nobody knows are in this. And so now we have secret spies doing daring missions in the backdrop of World War One, And it's just a frenetic ride that takes a lot of twists, a lot of turns, stops on a dime, tells a different story, different subplot here, and it all adds up to the foundation for what we've seen in Kingsman, the Secret Service, and the Golden Circle. Yes, the invisible hand on turning the pages of history, as I like to go ahead and say. <laughs> that was beautiful. I, 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 I try. I try. Uh, <laughs> Simon, again, uh, I'll start with you on mm. this one because I— will tell my tale on it, but I love to see that you've come around with it because this was a movie when it came out, people were railing against it. They lived at saying how much they hated this movie, which I felt was vicious, but maybe you were one of those people at that time. Yeah, the thing is that what was really weird for me is obviously there were two previous Kingsman movie, um, as you know, as, as you've mentioned, and they'd spent a lot of time setting up these characters and setting up the relationships and everybody was really in bed with that. And then suddenly there's this, this movie, this prequel, and it was less eggsy than a vegan breakfast. You know, eggsy, <laughs> Taron Egerton, who they'd built up, who was now this hot act in Hollywood. They took him out of the equation because they were going back in time and they were starting again. And then also in this movie, um, if you haven't seen it yet, I suggest you stop the uh, stop the podcast for a second. Um, 
they take out someone that they've built up in this as the equivalent of Eggsy, mm. like 50 minutes before the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not afraid to say, I was pissed. <laughs> I just got to know this guy. And yeah. I was like, I see where you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What have you done? And I was, and then I spent a lot on that 50 minutes going like, God damn it. Yeah. Where's that guy? Mm-hmm. You just got me to like him. And now he's not here. And I struggle with that. So it was on the second and third watch for this that I was like, okay, I'm back in the room. I get it. I'm over that. Now I see what you're doing. And I kind of like it. Okay. Yeah. So that sounded like 40% is a little too low for you. Yeah. I mean, not... this is not a this is not a, like an 80% movie for me. Okay. But it's certainly like a a 65, 70. I think rewatches where the audience are with this, which is like 80%. I'm I'm a little below that, but I'm I'm more with the audience on this one. I can go fresh. I think that 40% is a little too rotten for this movie. I will say that I did feel a little bit of fatigue. I think it's it, it's hour uh 2 hours 10 minutes runtime. Yeah. You feel every minute of it. Ooh. Um and it it does feel like we're kind of doing some of the same dance moves that we've done in the first two. Mm. Where I love the new period, time period, and I actually love that, like, because we could take this sort of like um, uh, Assassin's Creed, where we could put this in any time period and have yeah. fun with it. You mm. know, we can wear this is secret network, whatever. If we're taking down the Byzantine Empire, if we're taking down something modern, here it's World War One, and I'm fascinated by that, by those world events. So I like having some fiction telling that story. Forty percent feels a little too rotten. I'm not with the audience. I I think I'm right around the corner from Simon. If you're going to be like 65%, I might be like 55, 60%. So I'd say it's a fresh adjacent movie, if not an outright fresh flick. I will, I will try to be the first time on this one. I'm accused of not being the populist pick of this podcast. (laughs) I'm accused of being the hoity-toity. I'm too good for this. You know, she goes and watches Oppenheimer type stuff. I effing love this movie. Good. Great. I dug this movie. I was re-watching clips from it last night. Yeah, you can go ahead and call me out on it because it's it's, it's award season. It's award season. I ain't got time to watch it again. She's in the thick of it. But I've watched this movie three times since it came out and it only came out four years ago, three years ago. Mm. I love it so much. I had so much fun with this movie. I love Harris Dickerson. I love the fact that they take the turn. Rotten Tomatoes is hella wrong. I am with the audience. 80%. It was such a fun time. I was livid that this movie did not get the riches that it was supposed to enjoy. I was so upset that it was not the movie that sort of righted the ship in the Kingsman franchise after the dip that was The Golden Circle, a movie that I hated with the passion of a thousand suns. So yeah, I'm so beyond glad that we're getting to talk about this one today. So I'm going to go ahead and say Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. We're going to talk more about this, too. Let's not forget, this one came out in 2021. Mm. What, there's something big that happened in 2020 that I think that has a lot to do with why this movie— I don't movie, can't remember what you're talking about. Yeah, you know— I went to have, bed in 2019, <laughs> and I woke up, and there had been a new third Kingsman movie come out, and I had no idea. <laughs> it yeah. tends to happen. Yeah, I, I feel this movie was um, a victim of circumstance as much as anything else, and it still managed to be a really good, fun, and enjoyable time. But I, I kind of lament what maybe could have been. Anyway— We'll maybe have Tim Ryan tell us the details on what we've forgotten and what critics were saying at the time with that segment we like to call Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. Depending on your perspective, the Kingsman movies are either nasty fun or just plain nasty. But it's undeniable that it's that edge, as well as the stylish riffing on classic spy films, that made the first two Kingsman's big hits at the box office. Maybe it was the pandemic, maybe it was the change of time period, but either way, the third entry in the series, The King's Man, was a box office bomb. 
though it still found favor with franchise diehards. Critics, however, were less than impressed and largely felt that despite an inspired performance by Ray Fiennes and some clever dialogue here and there, the Kingsman suffered from jarring tonal shifts and a general lack of the boundary-pushing energy that was a series trademark. The Kingsman is rotten at 40% on the tomato meter with 183 reviews, and it has an 80% audience score. And just for comparison, Kingsman the Secret Service is certified fresh at 75%, and Kingsman the Golden Circle is rotten at 50%. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Brian Tallarico of RogerEbert.com wrote, A charismatic cast and occasionally entertaining piece of action choreography keep it from complete tedium, but this odd hybrid of war drama and patriotic action orgy never finds its groove. However, in a fresh review, Frank Sheck of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, The results may turn some Kingsman fans off, but those willing to embrace this entry's greater thematic and stylistic ambitions will find much to savor, including the stirring lead performance by Rafe Fiennes. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Rafe finds solid central performance in The King's Man is done dirty by this tonally confused prequel's descent into action thriller tedium. So that's The King's Man. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, two people who know that nobility never came from chivalry. It came from being tough and ruthless. Back to you, folks. Nothing says Mark and Jacqueline like tough and ruthless. Nothing like Oxford's not brogues, right? Oxford's not yeah, brogues, yeah, yeah. that's what it says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's go into movie talk. Um, but I, 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 I'm worried because I'm going to take a segment, Simon. I'm going to take a segue to you, Simon, that I hope you're, you're down for. I'm going to just let yeah, warn you now. absolutely, like a Kingsman. <laughs> like a Kingsman. Before we get into movie talk, hmm. I want some me talk. And by me talk, I mean you talk. Because sure. your voice, as it's ringing melodiously in my ear, is reminding me of listening to the dulcet tones of BBC One, which I think is like the perfect <laughs> intersection between posh and and like East London, South London. Yeah. And I don't know what that means, but this is the only time I can do this and ask a, a white British man this, and it's not like a slur. What flavor are you of Brit? <laughs> what? Because <laughs> your, your accent... What flavor are you? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, this is... I can only ask a white man this. You ask anyone else this, and it's no, like... A, and it's a, discriminatory. And I, I consider it quite an honor to be asked. Um, I, I mean, I actually... I, I, I'm, I'm a huge mix in the UK. Obviously, you know, I'm the Caucasian for any occasion. That's... That's... Unavoidably <laughs> obvious, um, but I, uh, I, I, I was actually born uh, in Scotland. I was born in Glasgow, ah. um, and uh, I spent a lot of my 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 family moved around quite a lot. My my father used to work for a, a retailer, was a manager of stores, and they would move their managers around every three years. So I got to live all over the UK. So I lived uh, in uh, the north of England and and uh, the northeast and places like uh, Scarborough uh, near Liverpool, a place called Southport, yeah. which is near Manchester as well, up in the north. And then I spent a huge part of my life in South Wales, where my parents were originally from, so the South Wales Valleys. And I can tell you that going to a school in South Wales, South Wales, yeah. very, very working class and mining towns yeah. um, and sounding like this. Um, I was considered something of a dandy. Um, so, uh, you know, signing, I, I'm the first to admit I sound a little bit fruity at the best of times. No. Um, it, but it's, it's you know, then I, I lived in England. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm a complete mix. Um, but somehow my mouth ended up with this, um, which is great. I mean, I've lived over here in, in LA for like nine years now. But everybody thinks I'm some kind of freaking wizard or wise man. Because <laughs> everything I say, they're going, oh my God, is that... 
is that right? I'm like, no, it's not you right. You just hang on <laughs> every I'm word. talking. That Sive oh my says, God, and, that is amazing. And, and yeah. look, him and I have been talking for a while because yeah. I, I wanted to have him on the show because he's just, he, he's great at talking about film. And so it just happened that we were doing the King's Man episode. I would it call him It was not too. because I was British. I was like, oh, well, we need, we, we need an well, authority on I the subject. See, Mark, was, I see what we're doing here. an episode to bring him, I mean, this it's one, Oppenheimer is the only one I would suggest on top of that because although that's not a British movie, it's, very Christopher Nolan and all of his movies feel British like in their <laughs> essence no yep. the reason why I asked it is I'm literally I was literally confused by your accent I'm like I'm a, stu- a student of British accents and yours was literally confusing I'm like where is this student because you got the mix like, like you Mrs. Got yeah. Got yeah. It's a little muddled it's a- <laughs> and I guarantee if I spend a bit of time you know in my homeland of Wales I I get the, the Welshness comes through ah. sort of even when I was talking to Reese about this movie um, he and I you know he made a, a movie in Swansea my hometown oh, wow. and so we uh, you know my, my, my intonation would slip to being Welsh, but when I'm talking to friends from Scotland, um, I get a little bit of Scots in there. And then when I'm talking to friends from London, it can be, you know, a little bit more, oh, hello, yes, I would mind some. Uh, oh, <laughs> I got a little yeah. bit of C-3PO. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, so you're you're absolutely right and totally fine to us. I, by the way. There won't be a conversation with HR about this. No. Be absolutely fine. Melodious Tones, I will say, you're really classing up the, the podcast sounds this morning because, I mean, I'm Southern through and through. And so... <laughs> And mine, that's 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 what would slip through with me with a couple of drinks is I get a little more southern with the accent. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 just a to have Mr. Thompson on, Sir Thompson. I, yeah. You know, as opposed to like just you and me talking. Yeah. It's like, hey, y'all see that thirteen hours, I mean, man? For that real, was a harrowing though. action flick. <laughs> And it's Seriously. not often that I bring a touch of class to anything. <laughs> so uh, I'm as surprised as anybody else. Haven't had that much fun since God was a boy. Let's go ahead and talk about when did you see it? You said you did the junket for this. I did, yeah. I, I saw it. Um, I think I was actually sent a link. So I watched it at home and not in a movie theater. Um, but I did then go and see it in a movie theater for the second time. Yeah, so I did the junket for this. And this mm. was, a, as you, you know, you both quite rightly say, it was a really weird time. Um, and I think that this movie would have landed even better on it if it had been. It's one of those movies that, that works so well, having seen it on a big screen and, and seen it on a TV. It actually works really well in that home environment. It's mm. it's it's that level of of movie that that plays really well in both environments. And I think had it been, because it got bounced around on the release schedule so much, had it been released in theatres and at home, I think actually it would have been better received because it plays really well in that home environment, which is why I would encourage people to revisit it if they saw it in theaters. It almost feels like, because this was scheduled initially to come out like 2019, and then you just had a bunch of delays and like release Mm -hmm. date shuffling. And so it ends up coming out December 22nd of 2021, which Mm. means you're going to be competing with huge movies like Mm. Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, You had Sing 2 for the the families, and then you had this. And I really feel like Kingsman The Golden Circle took a lot out of the sort of clamor for Mm -hmm. more in this world because... Like, the first Kingsman movie, I have such fond memories of, because long story boring, when I was doing the Schmoes No podcast, we actually had Mark Hamill call in, because he was in the first Kingsman movie. Yeah. So we got him to call in, and that was February 2014. So it had been announced that, you know, Force Awakens is happening, and, like, mm. he was wow. in it. So just very, very big moment for uh, Star Wars geeks at yeah, Schmoes. Yeah. And then, and and I love the movie. I think, I think the first Kingsman movie is pretty much universally, like, that's a, yeah. that's a kick-ass fun, inventive action flick by this yeah. guy, Matthew Vaughn, who just knows how to do, actually knows how to put story with it, he knows how to get performances. And then the Golden Circle came out, and at Comic-Con, they showed, like, the opening sequence of the Golden Circle before it came out in Hall H. And I remember the hype around that was, like, people were losing their minds with mm-hmm. excitement. Then the movie comes out, and it's just like, 
it just kind of fell flat for whatever reason. And yeah. it still it still did okay at the box office, but it just didn't really hit with the fans where, oh, we need more of these. Even though Kingsman, it, it, it it's this secret society that has lasted for so long. There's so many stories you could tell. And so I just didn't even know this movie had necessarily come out. And so sitting down and watching it and not getting Taron Egerton and not getting and just having to re-ingratiate myself with what the lore of this is versus the characters I'd come to know in this universe, it really, like, I, I had to find my footing with it. But I love the backdrop of history. And I think that there's a lot of fun to be had. And I did enjoy this movie watching it at home. I think it's also a good movie that if it, you're on a plane, and you just mm-hmm. need something to get your mind off of the fact you're in a metal tube 30,000 feet over the earth. This is a good movie to transport you because you you can't take your eyes off it. I, it's better for me than a plane movie. I feel like this movie for me is the way people are feeling like Godzilla minus one. It has it all. It's got intrigue. <laughs> it's got politics. It's got family drama. Uh, I feel the Kingsman franchise may have had some of the worst luck as a franchise all the way through, which is why I think this movie didn't do as well. I actually saw this for the first time on the Fox lot back when it was still Fox, uh, 20th Century Fox, because mm. it was not yet part of the Disney thing, right? Or was mm. it part of Disney at that point? No, right? The the, the whole thing hadn't officially gone through. Yeah, I think, it hadn't point. officially yeah, gone yeah, yeah. through yet. So it was still Fox. Um, I saw it on the Fox lot. It was a critic screening. We were still in mass because it was still the pandemic and people cared. Um, but I was giggling and I could tell every critic around me was not <laughs> like I was having a blast. And they were like, no, we don't want to do this. We don't like this. This is not like the the like when Rasputin goes into his full diva dance, I am like, give me life. And nobody else did. <laughs> nobody else did. I was like, this is camp greatness. And uh, nobody cared. And the, the bad luck started. They get their date hijacked by by romance novel smutty porn in Fifty Shades of Grey. The second one, the Pedro oh, right. Pascal yeah. mm-hmm. and um, Julianne everybody, Moore's in it. Yeah. yeah, Julianne Moore's in that one. That one got hijacked by the fact that they had uh, scheduling conflicts with Channing Tatum. Yeah. That's why Channing Tatum plays Texas and like the tequila and right, like you always right. look at it as like why is why is Channing Tatum tequila? Well, because tequila is in the movie less, and so they actually had to switch the roles between Pedro Pascal and Channing Tatum. That would have been even more racist if you look back on it. That was actually some, like, ingenious that they did the switch. But that was just because of scheduling conflicts. And I don't know the story behind this one. I don't think it's ever been told. But I have to believe the reason why Harris Dickerson disappears in this movie is because of the fact that it was halfway shot in the pandemic. And they just kind of had to cobble together the movie. I think he was going to be in the movie longer Mm. and have much more of a father-son death scene. Like, that's what they were leading up to. Yeah. And then they couldn't do that because he was filming Triangle of Sadness. And that was his big movie that was happening at that Ah, same time, which also kind of got disrupted by the pandemic and everything else. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I think also with with Golden Circle, it, it leaned very much into Elton John. Yeah. And at the time, Elton John was, we hadn't had Rocketman, mm-hmm. which obviously put, you know, Elton back in the cool stakes. And obviously he hadn't done any of the music he'd done with like Dua Lipa and people like that. And so Elton was still not kind of back at the top of coolness, even yeah. though he was well recognized. Very I mean, perfect for this and great. You know, he's a, a British icon. Um, but I think it was a couple of years too early. Yes, it was. A couple of years too early. A couple of years too early. To play that Elton card. And to play that Elton card, yeah. especially like if it would have been after the Rocket Man, and then now he's gone and done his sort of like farewell, farewell tour. Mm-hmm. Also, um, he knows I've lived for Elton John's 70s work. I have not listened to anything that man As did do past, I. past yeah. 1987. I'm a but, huge Elton John. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was it was sad too. Julianne Moore got out of this one completely unscathed, though. I mean, she's got a potential Oscar winner this year. Nobody mm. remembers that she was in this movie. Oh, and no. thank God, because she's fine. It, it did not do it, her it any favors. It just seemed like, like the second one got a little too hyper-stylized for me. Um, mm-hmm. Matthew Vaughn is good at that, but I think like every, you know, like so many filmmakers, it's like, okay, we, we know you're good at doing this. And I feel like this one is more back to his form of let me show off, but let me not go completely over the top. And so there's scenes where it gets close to that that I actually really enjoyed. Like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is that fight scene with Rasputin yeah. where it, it's Orlando and then it's uh, 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 Shola played by yep. Jamon Hunsu. And they're both kind of taking their licks at Rasputin. And Rasputin is just so full of trickery, but also of showmanship. And yeah. it was just, it was such a fun fight scene to watch play out. Well, that that scene was actually originally, um, they were going to use Boney M's Rasputin yeah, um, wow. as the track for that. But he couldn't get it to work. And so they ended up using this, you know, classic piece of classical music to, to orchestrate that. But I think I still hold firm to this. And I was listening to it in the car coming back from the screening um, uh, coming back from the screening last night. That is such a great piece of camp disco yes. from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. I think they should have stuck with that because I was thinking if somebody took that scene now and did a little TikTok with it and cut Boney M's Rasputin to that with the, <laughs> camp, the delicious campness mm. of this insane Russian figure of Rasputin, that would have been... And I think moments like that, I think, would have taken it over the populist edge. I think when those moments happen, the reason why they say that it doesn't work, it has to do with the rhythm mm. of uh, the piece not matching with the movements. And that is one of the worst things in the world. It's like, I'm sure it worked thematically, obviously, what you're talking about and what they saw when they were writing it to that idea. Yeah. But if the movements didn't match that on the set, because they usually don't do these with actual the actual music, like they don't yeah. like play it. And so if his rhythm isn't matching that, then it, it doesn't work. It reminded me of The Fifth Element and uh, Lilu's fight uh, with the diva. Mm. And I, I knew that that was kind of what they were, in my opinion, leaning into, which is also a rob of like the Jackie Chan movies where he had big musical numbers. So it's again, robbery on robbery. But I, I still love that scene. I think it, it is one of the greatest scenes. But then also uh, Dickerson's death scene, like that moment of him, like you don't know if he's going to make it. I thought he was dead. And I, at a certain point, I'm like, he has to die because if he doesn't <laughs> die, this is, just loses all credibility in the reality of this movie. I think that was a separate thing that was filmed completely outside of everything else, mm. um, just based on kind of how Harris looks in that scene and what he was doing. Also, this was the role that told me that kid could act. Because in addition to all the action things, like he is going toe to toe with, I mean, like Ray Fiennes. I mean, this is a guy that show him in this role and then show him in um, 
uh, in Bruges and tell me that that man does not have range. I mean, this is literally the epitome. And then put the English patient on top of that and you'll be like, this is not even the same man. Well, as Simon was saying, like, when you watch somebody and and you have to follow in the footsteps of a Taron Egerton, for lack of a better yeah. word, following in the footsteps of because he was our lead for the first two mm. Kingsman movies, who's going to step in and just be that sort of person that you watch? I thought he did a commendable job at that, which is why, like, I had to rewind it again last night. I was like, wait, 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 wait. So we're just saying goodbye? Yeah. What, what, what the hell is this? And Matthew's great as a director at helping spot yes. these people. I mean, he obviously spotted, you know, with his with his casting team, Taron Egerton, who at the time was not known. Yep. They put him in against Colin Firth. Again, another classic British character Charlie actor. Charlie Cox just, against uh, Robert De Niro in Stardust. And yeah. some, some newbies in uh, in uh, X-Men First Class as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. Nicholas Holt of the world. He, he's yeah. got this thing to really pick it. And you were talking about some of the other work that, that Harris had done. I mean, he just did a, a tiny British movie called Scrapper. Oh, yeah. Um, which is absolutely superb. Um, had a very, very limited re- release here um, towards the end of, of 2023. Absolutely incredible performance. He is like the next Taron Egerton. He is destined for really, really great things. And this is a great showcase for him. But again, I, I agree. The way they dispatched him in this was, A, it was a bummer. And B, unceremonious. It, it se- unceremonious. And it felt a bit scratchy. I, it didn't quite sit with me. I'll, I'll tell you, the, the biggest hurdle that this movie had for me, other than not knowing it existed, <laughs> is when I put it on. <laughs> that little thing. It. It, you can't really just pin all of this on one movie, but everybody, you start out, you start watching movies when you're a kid, then you grow up and you find these these certain tropes. You find these certain, you know, sometimes it's a cliche, sometimes it's mm. a, whatever it is, the inciting action. I just like, the first scene, we got to see a guy and his wife get shot and that's going to set off this chain of events. And I was just, that was the movie. I was like, come on, I'm so tired of seeing like a dude who is just inspired by some dead woman who <laughs> means a lot to him. And now he's going to go off and like do this great stuff. And it's like, I get it. It's, it. We've seen it a thousand times. So that, but that's just me probably being the age that I am watching it and having seen that so many times in every superhero movie and every action movie where it's some poor woman's got to get shot in the stomach and bleed out. And now we're going to be inspired by her. Mm. And so that was like, that was the hurdle that the movie had to get over. I will say that it did because I found Ray Fine so captivating. And you when you're gonna do that highfalutin crazy action that Matthew Vaughn loves to do, you need to have an actor who is stellar mm-hmm. at grounding it and making you feel like this could actually exist in the world in some points. And I feel like Fines is like one of the best at that. I mean, the Kingsman concept, the technology that they sort of employ with this, I feel it takes the James Bond tech to a a different level of, like, absurdity. Mm -hmm. But there was still the comedy of it. Like, the laughs in the first Kingsman is Eggsy with his stepmom and the the local toughs at the bar. You know, that's where you you live in sort of the the comedic aspects of it. This one in particular, I do not know if they were as careful with where the laughs came from. There was as many laughs from Rasputin, who's supposed to be our big bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of also, like, tipped the scales on the negative side of it, whereas in uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character in the first Kingsman was not as laughable besides his lisp. Mm. Like, he still was a very believable, like, no, I know what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it. And I I didn't feel that necessarily with Rasputin. Like, he needed to be a more... I don't know, imposing figure for, I think, some of those laughs to not feel they were directed at him, but could be around him. See, I I did feel that until Rasputin started doing his, like, that Mm. thing. As soon as he starts doing that, I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. This is a different guy now. This isn't isn't the fun place kicker from the replacements anymore. This is, like, a different dude, and I'm scared of him now. But that's, don't you, like, that was the part that I didn't like about it, is I felt like that character is doing three different movies. 
He's Rasputin. Do whatever he wants. I mean, <laughs> if he, you he be, if you believe what he what he did on that one. But I mean, I, I one thing I did like about um, what he was doing was the fact that obviously, again, Rafe played into this really, really well, and it was the whole using uh, the you know Conrad, um, played by Harrison Dixon, as kind of like this bait mm. for for Rasputin, who obviously have a, a taste for handsome young men, uh, kind of setting a Venus guy trap of, of <laughs> sorts for uh, for mm. the villain of the piece. Yeah. Um, I thought that was I thought that was very funny, and I did like the fact that. I think he could have got more laughs by leaning into uh, the, the, the camp ridiculousness without too much of the pantomiming. But yes. on the fight scenes, I love the swordplay. I yes. love the use of things like scarves. Yeah. I love that that high-tech, low-tech thing. And the, and the swords with guns, I thought, was kind of, you know, it's kind of a d- thing to do when you, when you have a gun attached to a sword. Um, I think that what they did there with the technical stuff was actually about right and i yeah. actually quite thought that was that was really smart and i at the time i felt very differently i was like i don't know this is not really landing for me mm. but when they employed all of those and i did the rewatch i actually think actually that's pretty smart yeah uh anytime uh Gemma, Gemma shows up in a movie i i feel she's probably miscast she's done so many roles like this yeah. she's so wasted yeah. in so she's many roles she's great when she's in it she's mm. great when she's in it yeah. but every movie i feel does not rise up to what she's able to do. I felt that with Clash of the Titans. I feel that with this. Not I mean, since it, that hands-on Gretel movie. I mean, really, man. And she's so good. I just, I really want her to succeed in a way that matches her talents in this. Also, Matthew Good. So it, the best, though, of everyone that is cast in this, Tom Hollander playing three roles in this, which is actually <laughs> historically accurate in the sense that everything in The Kingsman tries to play a little bit in history. We get a lot more of that later with the extended scene. But Tom Hollander is an actor who I don't know. I'm like, if you were just taller, you would get roles that are completely different because this is the guy that plays Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice. He plays the most abrasive figure. I forget his name from uh, the in crowd, mm-hmm. uh, that that guy from that one. And then also in the loop, which was the movie version of that one. And then he plays these dual characters in this one, which are based on actual real figures who looked exactly alike, which I thought was also weird. Like Queen Victoria had a bunch of kids. They pretty much populated the entire royalty of Europe. And then all of them hated each other, even though they all looked exactly the like and saved this sh- and same the. Uh, shared the same grandmother, which I also thought was really weird. Um, I wonder if also people hated that part of it, like the revisionist history of it, because those are not always well-liked. There's some revisionist history, but I was actually like pretty happy with how they stuck to some of the crucial turning mm. points mm. of World War One. not just the assassination of the Archduke, but that, that really was the thing. Like Germany was flirting with Mexico at that time. <laughs> and they're like, hey, can you, would you mind like starting a little skirmish with the United States just to distract them from not getting in when we really start up in the heat? Yeah. And so there was that telegram that was sent. And like, I think they offered them that whatever they lost in the in the U.S. Mexico War in the 1800s, yeah. like they offered them the territory. My back. hometown would have ended up being in Mexico Corpus if, Christi, if, Texas. if they had if they had their way. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, like so I was fascinated from that perspective. And I think that if you do more Kingsman movies, which mm. like after watching this, this was not my favorite by mm. any stretch of the imagination. I do. I, I felt it was a little too long, it, a little too bloated at points, but I enjoyed it enough from the historical context of it to where I would love to see what the post credit scene hinted at, yeah. which is, I mean, you see Hitler's in the post credit scene. It's like, like Lenin and Hillary getting together and it's like, oh, that is so intriguing. As you get closer up to more modern times, it gets tougher because it's more recent. Like, I don't want to see them tackle 9-11. I don't want to see them do stuff like that. But if you can somehow stay relatively in that early mid 1900s period 
I'd be up for more stories. I'm kind of bummed that they killed off Matthew Good's uh, evil character because mm-hmm. a, a great villain is a is a shouting Scottish man. Mm. There are a few <laughs> more things hilarious or intimidating than a Scot shouting. And also, <laughs> we were talking earlier about obviously the use of the use of language and Scots and Welsh people and English people and, and the Irish as well have incredibly unique ways to swear and curse. <laughs> I mean, the, the Scottish use of is absolutely incredible. <laughs> the opportunities here are endless. And I'm got you have a, a shouty Scottish villain. You could have played with that for a long time, but obviously yeah. we, we are likely not to see him in a sequel. Well, we might see bits of him in a bag, but definitely not a whole complete According human to Colin being. Firth, right. you never know, dude. They no. seem to be able to resurrect everyone <laughs> that like is, Jesus. That is true. But I think, I mean, they really, I, 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 again, with the first watching, I was not so sure about that choice of villain and how they played it. But actually going back, he has some killer dialogue in there. Some really good stuff. And that is a great brogue that he employs, that Scottish brogue there. Has Ray Fiennes even given us a performance where we're like, nah, that's not it. Like, I'm thinking of it. Like, the man is just, he delivers on every single thing that he... I think more versatile than people give him credit for because you can do something like The English Patient, but around that same time, he also did Strange Days, which is a very different type of character and he's awesome in it. Strange Days. Isn't he making out with Angela Bassett in that? Yeah. Yes, he Everybody is. Everybody go, go back and watch <laughs> Strange wouldn't? Days, man. I mean, that was it. Who wouldn't? Literally. Strange Days was like a, was like a Y2K paranoia oh movie before God, the term yes. Y2K <laughs> came in. Yeah. It was, oh, man, absolutely. that's a good movie. That yeah. is right. He was doing that at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. uh, doing uh, In Bruges right around the time that he's starting with uh, James Bond. Like, this is just yeah. insane. He also does a really sweet drunk off in this <laughs> when he's getting upset about the death of his son. Yeah. And I'm like, I do quite like a drunk Ray Fiennes. One of the strongest things about this movie to me is the relationship that he has with his family. I mean, again, like mm. I have my issue with the, with, with just his wife dying in the first episode. Like, hey, here's his wife. She likes the Red Cross. Okay. Yeah. But the way that he interacts with his son is so protective father, but also like he sees the potential in his kid. It, he's not blind. Like yeah. he sees what, you know, what Kitchener, everybody else probably sees in his kid, but he's just so hesitant to let it happen. And I mean, you know, then the fact that you have like the maid who's also now in your Kingsman group and you have yeah. Shaw who's like his protector and sort of like his personal trainer amongst the many hats that Shaw wears in this movie. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, this is the, the stars are aligning too perfectly to not let your kid into this. So I really bought that as the father, like having to relent and say, at some point you got to throw your kids in the deep end of the pool. So here's the secret door through the library and boom, here we go. Can Daniel Brule play a good guy? Like, can we he's give that so to good him? He's a bad guy. Because I think so it's only when he's speaking in English that he comes off as a bad guy. I think in all of his German movies, he's like the guy next door who's good. happy. Good for him. Because in everything from Zemo <laughs> to this. Even in that racer movie with, yes. uh, um, you know, Stallone oh, did yeah. it. Or, yeah. Whatever. Uh, uh, with the, t- uh, what's his name? Kip Pardue. Yes. But also the Chris Hemsworth. Oh, right. He's in it too. Yeah. Yeah. Overdrive, something like that. I don't know. Rush, Rush that is right. Yeah, right. yeah. I want too many syllables. <laughs> and there's basically every F1 movie, because I I've saw Ferrari uh, recently, too. It's just who doesn't die by the end. That is a very, like, for the longest time, they all die. Well, like, it's cars going die. very fast. I know that, but it seems to me the history of the sport is just littered with people dying. Very dangerous sport. It's the opposite of driving in L.A. In traffic <laughs> between the hours of 4 and 7 and 8 and about 11. I'm not going to lie to you. 3 a.m. in L.A., though. You hear noises. I have, knock on wood, and every, you know, 
being please bless me. I have not been in an L.A. accident. I also don't have that many reps. Like, I feel like if you're not on the road that much, you have mm-hmm. less chances to be mm-hmm. in the car. And I don't have a long commute. And I don't commute that often. These people have to practically bribe me with donuts to come in here. But- <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. They were donuts? <laughs> Oh. Nobody, nobody told me there were going to be donuts. This is well, our second taping yes. of the day, yeah. so right. you yeah. missed the donut trip. Sorry, sir. We but, might have we might have a bagel for you. You but, know us Brits, we love our donuts. <laughs> That's not a thing, by the way. They really aren't, because y'all didn't do Krispy Kreme. We did that. Yeah. And, and we, where did it start? Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Right. It produced Krispy Kreme, tobacco, Racism. and Mark Ellis. <laughs> When 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 Krispy Kreme racism was already around before me, all right. I didn't arrive in 1980. I was like, not only am I here, I have some thoughts. Like racism, rich trials, and Mark Ellis. That's (laughs) what I'm thinking. Salem, Massachusetts, is very different than Winston. We have our share of beliefs that don't necessarily jive with modern thinking, but Krispy Kreme is from us. You're welcome. When Krispy Kreme came to the UK, I cannot tell you how exotic that was. It was. It was like a taste of heaven. It was kind of a big thing. And the sign yeah. says the donuts are hot now. It's yeah. just, I mean, yeah, that was I've a big seen thing. the video of Irish people trying Krispy Kreme for the first time, and that was epic. Well, I actually do love those videos. Brits coming and eating mm-hmm. American barbecue <laughs> and like literally like feeling things that they've never felt before. That is, ugh. We I know how to do Q here in the we, States. We yeah. definitely know how to give you di- type 2 diabetes, but in a way that you will love it. <laughs> and you you'll thank us You will love it. it. You'll be like, thank you for killing me. And then you're going to have to pay an arm and a leg with our healthcare system. <laughs> Welcome to the States, everybody. Which both of those were actually rejected slogans for the U.S. Tourist Board, (laughs) um, surprisingly. Because I think they're both delightful. Y'all like pulled pork and diabetes? Come on over here. Come for Disney, stay for the diabetes. With your fancy Kingsman movies in your spa circles. (laughs) You watch something like this, though, and I will say, like, Fine's just one of those guys who existed on a different plane than the James Bond timing Mm. with the casting. Like, he probably, Pierce Brosnan was the right role. In in ninety five or whenever Goldeneye came out, yeah, and then Fines was just kind of on this alternate track where it never really lined up. But I think that he would have been a very good something in James in the world of James Bond. Yeah, um, I also think the the depictions that they try to do in this one are really interesting. The idea of people like for God and country for I guess in this case king and country and all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff with it. Watching it the sex, second time around, this one is just a question that Brian wants to know. I don't want to know this question. This is a great cast. Everyone's cast in it. Is there another Brit that could do what Rafe was doing in this? I think there's only there's only a handful, I think, that that really w- would come to me. Mm. Um, an outside one would be Carrie Elwes. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, yeah, um, That's a, you know, Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. no, I, I I know him from The Crush, starring Alicia oh, Silverstone. Yeah, when he was, yeah. 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 And obviously Robin recently. Hood Men in Tights. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Crush is problematic. I watched it again recently. Let's just leave that there. Look, I read it in 93, and I haven't seen it since, and I'm just going to leave it on the shelf. Uh, (laughs) Also, Jeremy Irons, I think, would have been potentially. Jeremy Irons Irons would have been good. He would have been delicious as Rasputin, too. Jeremy Irons, anybody at that table, anybody on the good or the bad side, Jeremy Irons would have been great in anything. I I, I shudder (laughs) to say this because he is so not this in so many of his roles, but we didn't think that Colin Firth could do it, and they kind of had a similar trajectory. Mm. Could Hugh Grant do this? I think I, I think he he would do it now. I don't think he would have done it then. I mm. think having worked with Paul King and playing obsequious characters and you know kind of with with an edge, um, you know, and again in, in Wonka very recently yeah. as the Umpa Lumpa, um, I think he wouldn't have considered it at the time, but I think he'd be down for it now. I also think Paul Bettany 
It would be oh, aging him up a little a bit. One. Paul that's Bettany would be one. good. Uh, an office, someone I love, Rufus Sewell. Yes, oh, Rufus right. Sewell, yeah. because I love Dark City. I remember seeing that in movie theaters. If you've never seen Dark City, do yeah. check it out. But Rufus Sewell, I, I love that guy as an actor. And I still think in the UK, and he's always working, but in the UK and the US, he still somehow appears to be underused. And I think he would absolutely nail a role like this. And he was in The Holiday, so everybody should know him, right? He was in The Holiday, right? Or is that wrong? Um, Am I thinking of the wrong Rufus one? Rufus was, yeah. He, yeah, was, he was cheating on it was Jasper. Kate Winslet. Yes, yeah. that's, yeah. Right. that's right. I was like, I think this is right, but like, you know, I could be confusing. I would British also throw the man. guy who he, he. I always think he's Timothy Dalton, but he's not. Who's the guy who's the bad guy in uh, Jason Isaacs? In, oh uh, yes, in, yeah, uh, yeah. in the Patriot. Yeah, Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs trolls America every July Fourth because he still he he'll tweet out some, yes. a picture of him in the Patriot. Yes, it's just a, and it's so funny. I do love that, but I also love Jason Isaacs. He's a bit of a short king, though. And this one needs a little bit of height for this role. I yeah. will say that. That's one of the reasons why he's in that one, because mm-hmm. Mel Gibson is also a short king. I think L- Liam Neeson's a Scott, but Liam Neeson, this like could pull off like Liam the dad kind of, you know. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I think he would have been a great choice, but I think he was so deep in Taken. Yeah. Now, right. That no. I think that wouldn't have, that would have been like kind of like a Well, you talk thing. about a franchise that ran its course like Taken. Like, I, I don't ever need to see another Taken in like, you know, Liam Neeson action movies. That's a good plane movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean to disparage this movie by saying it's a plane movie. Like, uh, this is like something that just completely transports you to a different time and place so you forget the fact you're on an airplane mm-hmm. so it's like a credit to this movie but unlike a Taken franchise or most action franchises where after the, the third one you're like well, what else can we do in this world this is why I like timelines like this I don't know here's my question for the group because we're watching the formation of the Kingsman as we know it there's got to be secret societies like the Assassin's Creed thing mm-hmm. that were around before and I would trust the Brits to spearhead something like that back in the day could we possibly go further back in time and have something else in this universe? Or this feels like it was where Matthew Vaughn wanted to start it. Yeah. I think this is where you want to start it for the technology purposes. Sure. And 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 really sort of leave it there because there's there's a lot of innings there. There I, really is a lot of the innings. The domestic in, network yeah. is, is rife for a spinoff. Something yes. had to inspire uh, uh, Orlando, though, to do this. Yeah. You know, to create this and not just the I mean, his wife getting shot is like the OK, now I got to, you know, make stuff like this happen. But I wonder him reading as a child that like uh, like the stories of, you know, hell, the Knights of the Round Table. Like oh, that yes. Kind of thing. They could do a different society that sort of like maybe isn't the Kingsman, but maybe has the DNA. I Something mean, something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a debate for a different day. We could maybe make it happen just for you, Mark, because I, I feel like you really just want to watch a different Assassin's Creed movie, but we're going <laughs> to... I never saw it gonna, because you told me how bad it was. I've been upset about that. You were I was playing a, the game all week and then you saw the movie and you didn't speak to anybody for three days because yeah. you were so disappointed. I'm like, I guess I'm not going to go see that movie. Yeah. Still well, haven't seen it. Yeah, I did. I did rip about that one. That one broke. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. It broke my heart. Um, and on that note, <laughs> has anybody seen or heard from Jacqueline? Is she okay? Is she? Well, I know she saw Assassin's Creed on <laughs> Friday. I don't know. It's Monday. Is she okay? You don't understand. That was the video game that got me back into video I gaming. Know. I'll be upset about it until the day I die. But let's let's get into this mailbag. Brian, cue the music. This one is also coming from a catch-up crew member, Philip Calderon. Hey there. Since last year marked the 25th anniversary of Rotten Tomatoes, yes, it did. I'd like to point out a movie that came out from 1998 that's a standout for me. Oh, this is a great one. Enemy of the State. 
1998, Ooh. 70% fresh, 78% audience score. That's the first is a critic score, then the audience score. The movie is directed by Tony Scott, personal favorite director of mine, and stars Will Smith and Gene Hackman. I would very much like to hear your opinions about this flick when you get a chance. This was Will Smith trying to take Denzel's bag. I just want everyone to know this. This is like a whole contentious thing around this movie. And I really dug Enemy of the State, but I get why it's where it is. So I don't know. Will Smith was coasting on on the Mr. Fourth of July by that point. Yeah. He had Bad Boys come out. He had Independence Day. He had Men in Black. And it's like, what can this guy not do? And Enemy of the State was another big hit for him. And I thought he was, he he's great in this movie because he's so damn, you just, you're rooting for him start to finish. And a lot of the stuff going on in the world now feels like this was kind of a harbinger of those things. Yeah. And Gene Hackman, as anybody in yeah. any movie, never, I know he's retired, never forget how great Gene Hackman is in literally everything. Yes. From the French Connection and everything on before and after. I watched The Birdcage of Thanksgiving for no reason so other good. than so I good. saw it and I was like, let me watch this and oh, just... And give it up for his agents convincing him to do that. That's a hard sell. Because you got to get a drag at the yeah. end of that movie and yeah. like... He's great. He's hilarious. I would have loved to have been in that pitch room though when they sold yes. that to Gene. I would have loved to have been a fly on that <laughs> one. Like, I know you've done... What a fabulous room to be in. I know what movies that you have done, Unforgiven, but listen. Can you wear a dress? And I want you to sing... Disco dancing on the way out. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's a hard pitch for... Um, the inside scoop on this one, I will go ahead and say... What, is Enemy that of the State? On the Enemy of the State, uh, Tony wanted Denzel because Denzel is his guy. The mm -hmm. studio said, we're going to get Will Smith. Tony said, I want to get the budget that I want to get and I want to get Gene Hackman. So they put Will Smith in it and Tony Scott wanted to work with... Uh, Denzel again. Well, the and Scott brothers didn't have a bad run with Denzel after this movie. No, they really did. Tony made Man on Fire yep. and then uh, Ridley made American Gangster. Like, they, they they had plenty of fun with Denzel. And he's about to do him in Gladiator 2, which I'm excited to see, even though it injured Pedro Pascual. We don't want to talk about it, but he's in a cast <laughs> and he's on that set. So I'm just saying, if he's anything less than beautiful in The Last of Us <laughs> Season 2, blaming you. I feel like when you go to Jacqueline's place, like she has a hidden apartment like like in the Kingsman. Like she just pulls a book right, off the shelf. Right, just the Pascal and then room. All this Hollywood gossip and like all these strings like like the Charlie Day mean just like all these different things and yeah. what's going on in Hollywood, who's going to win what award and why and um, I haven't been invited in that room yet. Do you see here they said cast. He was cast in this movie. Now he's wearing a cast. Do you see there's a link here? It's the same word but it's used differently. I get it. I understand it. I don't know what the neurological disease is. I'm too mm -hmm. afraid to talk to the doctors about it. I used to just think everyone was like this, but the other day I was at a show and someone's like, do you know what CVS stands for? And I said, yes. And I was in a room of 200 people and they did not know. And I'm like, yeah, my brain is different. And it's, it's uh, consumer value stores. And I don't know why I know that, but I flip and do. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen. That's why you're getting up at 6 a.m. to work out every day. It just, it stays in my brain. Just These are the get things it out that, somehow. that stay in here for me. I wish they didn't. They keep me up at night. Simon, it was a blast chatting with you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I don't get that very often, so <laughs> nice to hear. Well, that's sad. Um, well, I usually get, you still here. Oh. <laughs> you need better friends. Oh, you, yeah, need people, you need people in your life. And we'll that have make you back. You. We'll do an American movie next yes. time. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to feel like we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're stereotyping you here. I will take you know? any role which comes my way. <laughs> 
We'll so, do Born on the Fourth of July next time. That's Simon's very here. British. A well known, a well known British film. What about Platoon? That other classic. Oh no! I actually, I want to see. We'll bring him in for something like The Wind That Shakes the Barley Leaf. Get him really uncomfortable. Something really it. upbeat. No, no. Get it. Get him something about colonialism, Britain. Be like, if we're gonna bring you back, we're gonna show what the other side thinks of yeah. your team. All right. <laughs> the the water diviner with Simon. Thompson. I know. Uh, Simon, where folk, can folks find you? What are you working on? What do you want to let them know about? Uh, you can find me on uh, most social media platforms at Show. Is Simon and I apologize for that name because I'm a man who's been around for a while. And when I when I took that moniker, it was the early days of Twitter, and I was approximately 20 years younger. And so it seemed like a good idea. Now it seems like I wouldn't be allowed to entertain at a children's party. It seems a little bit a little bit weird. Uh, so apologies for the name, but it is currently at Showbiz Simon on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can read my work in a variety of places from uh, Forbes, Variety, IndieWire, IGN, the playlist. Um, plenty of places. Um, and I'm working on a couple of projects, actually my first films, uh, which is quite interesting. Ooh. But those uh, those are not being announced yet. Hey, so that's, well, well, come when back they, when you're ready to announce When them. you're ready to announce I, them, you can well, come Well, I thought I'd been criticizing everybody else's work for over 20 years. It's about time <laughs> I put my money where my mouth is. So that's what I'm doing. Also, um, but yeah. Also, this is the place where folks can find their next great watch. And you are a man about mm. town that sees movies. Anything you want to shout out to recommend? Yeah, uh, I, I'm a big champion of Slow Horses on oh, yeah. Apple TV. Gary great, great, Gary Oldman is incredible in this as Jackson Lamb. That's on Apple uh, TV Plus uh, for those of the seven of you that have that. Um, <laughs> I have it, it a, and I always, Slow Horses is the thing that comes up on the landing page and I haven't clicked the button yet, but I hear it's great. It is. A, it is. They just uh, finished the third season. Uh, there are two more on the way and it's absolutely cracking. Uh, but also the other night, my, my wife and I watched, um, oh, what was it called? It was the the horror of uh, Dolores Roach oh, on, yes, on Amazon. Oh, uh, Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, he's only getting one season, but I think actually it ends in a really good place. It's a pretty quick watch. It's like eight episodes, 30 minutes each. Absolutely cracking movie. Gloria um, Calderon, really? A really Justine good story, not movie series. Yeah. And uh, based on a really great podcast. Again, okay. I don't know why. It, th I mean, think kind of, <laughs> it's like a Sweeney Todd kind of set in yeah. New York kind of situation. Yeah. Really, really good. Worth yeah. checking I out. I will get to those after I'm done with The Gilded Age and then Downton Abbey and then I'll get back I into just, more modern times. I, <laughs> if you would have told me when I met you at like the AMC back in 2016 that you would be in your like British like living for this. During would, the NFL playoffs, I mean, by the way. Seriously, like this is... Like I'm still watching the games. I'm not like putting pause on the Packers Cowboys so I can watch the Gilded Age. But like, <laughs> I, still, there's the fact that these both of these worlds are existing side by side in is, harmony. I'm, I'm, I. This is such. I love this for you. You've, I really do. You've trained me well. Uh, more importantly, I love when you're ever doing anywhere comedy. You have any dates coming up, sir? Yes, we got a bunch of tour dates. Mark Ellis Live is the landing place. I'm going to be in Vegas in March, Boston in April, and then Chicago, Houston, Portland, Vegas uh, again, and then uh, Seattle, a couple other places. New York on the docket. So. so so check out Mark Ellis. I'm going to be folks. flying my frequent flyer miles. Oh, rivaling Jacqueline Coley's after award season. I have not done anything, but it is award season right now. So if you were listening to us here, I would encourage all of you to check me out without Mark, but he's there in my heart. I'm listening. On the awards tour podcast, um, we'll have new episodes all the way through Oscar night. I want to thank you all for listening. Mark, next week, what do we got? Um, this is going to be really fun. This is going to be really interesting because I remember seeing this movie and I remember having thoughts. And now maybe I'll have some new thoughts. We'll yeah. see. A movie that I did know come, uh, came out back in 2015. That would be Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, we were the talking Wachowskis about. and Channing Tatum. Yeah. And Rollerblades. Yep. And it's going to get nutty. I've, I can't wait to talk about this one because you don't, guys want to know where I saw this movie? 
I dread to think. The Cannes Film Festival. Sundance Film Festival. They oh. were confident. They they thought they had they thought they had a new matrix. Hey, I'm look, not kidding. I'm going into this movie. I'm 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 doing the the neuralizer from Men in Black. I'm just resetting everything and I'm watching this movie like I've never seen it before. We'll see what happens. I was got to look on his I'm face so like glad you didn't ask me to do that <laughs> one because there's nothing I can do with that one. Sorry guys, but uh, I'll I'll gladly come back. So much appreciate it. Anything else? Tune into that one in 2 weeks. Want to thank you all for listening to another episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong and we'll see y'all next time. 